Today's interview, we're talking with Dr. Alaric Nadir. He's a professor of linguistics at Suwon Science College in South Korea. His PhD was in social science, and he also received a doctor of education. He's written two books. The first is called The Babylon Cipher, Why Everything is Language and Language is Everything. And his most recent one is titled On Heresies, The Modern Gnosticism of Queer Theology. In this interview, he talks about the evolution and manipulation of language by ideologies like queer theory. He goes into detail about sex differences, childhood developmental psychology, and many other topics. So without further ado, here is Dr. Alaric Nadir. I did get to read the Babylon Cipher. I was on vacation and I had some time. <laughs> I, I read it um, and it it was very well written. I feel like I don't know if you've ever been like to Disney at all. Have you? No. I promise this will make sense in a second. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is a there is a ride at Disney um, in Epcot. It's the big golf ball looking thing in Epcot, and um, you it's supposed to take you through time, like the evolution of man, and they do talk about the Phoenicians and language. Like I wrote that thing like crazy because it's narrated by Judy Dench. The, the ride as you're like going through and um, it's very, it's just a very cool ride for people who are interested in, in history. And um, like it reminded me so much of that ride because of the way that you set it up. It's, it's almost, um, it does feel kind of like almost a romanticized narration of like the development of societies and language and um, how it connects everything together. And I mean, you even talk about the universe and physics and things like that in there. And it, it was like so cool. <laughs> highlighted so many sections. It's a great book. If anybody wants to check that out, I highly recommend it. Um, I was reading parts of it to Zach and he was like, wow, this guy's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I doubt that, but uh, the, uh, how I wanted to set up the book is, um, I, actually I took a lot of, when I was doing my PhD, I took a lot of the information I actually used in my, in my thesis. And then I, I restructured it and, and put things back together. Um, because okay. when I was doing my thesis, I, I, I made what I call the Nordea hypothesis, which is, is basically, <laughs> it's a Newtonian, it's a Newtonian approach to, to uh -huh. forces. So if for Newton, he said, whatever happens, whatever reaction, whatever action you has, has a reaction and you yeah. see that with language. So I kind of took a Newtonian, okay, yeah. his his equation and changed it for application in language use. Uh, yeah. After I did that, I found, okay, it, it works, but uh, you, you can only really compare two variables at the same time. So I don't think mm -hmm. it's, I don't think it can ever become a full model, but it can certainly be used as part of a model in understanding kind of like language changes or, um, dialect creation or death of dialects or absorption of dialects. There's all these interesting mm. things that happen. So 
I basically, I had that in there. But then when I wrote the book, I didn't really include much in that regard. I more wanted to tie in people that didn't really know anything about language and mm -hmm. give them an overview of what language is and how it works because no species on this planet comes close to humans in communication with language, even the written word. There are so many scripts. There are so many writing systems that are really different. Um, yeah. We have things like abjads. So Hebrew would be one where you're not writing the vowels. Arabic would be one. Um, you yeah. know, there's there's a lot of different systems. Uh, yeah. No, no animal comes close to that. So I kind of wanted to give this, <laughs> no, this panorama view. Yeah. This panorama view well, of what <laughs> what language is, how it affects us. Yeah. And it's very hard to put it all into a short kind of section. Sorry, I'm blabbing. No, you're fine. It, it's just it's you're talking about animals. It's making me think of those videos where they um they teach the dogs how to use the language, the the talking buttons for like different words. So we're even like passing our language on to like other species. Right. <laughs> it's interesting. They they can even like learn sentence structure and and things yeah, like that. The, it's crazy. Um I think dogs are dogs are a weird animal. Dog <laughs> dogs are you know, um I, I forgot now very intellectual. Um, I forgot now the exact name for it. But when you point to an object, there uh -huh. is some kind of abstract thought that happens where that action is associated with the object to which you are pointing. That takes quite a lot of brain power. Yeah. But most animals can't do that. Even lots of primates, yeah, if you point, point to something, they don't actually know what you mean. But with dogs, mm -hmm. for some reason, who knows, they work out that when you point yeah. to an object, you are talking about that specific object, which is the <laughs> weirdest thing. And they're not even they're not even a simian species. They they have no yeah. relation to us, whatever. They're weird. Dogs are weird. I love them. <laughs> but they're weird. I That's have three. I... Yeah. You're making me want to interview another friend of mine who's a who's an animal behaviorist and she would be great right here. Like I need to drag her in. Yeah, drag <laughs> her in. Call her up. <laughs> she would have a lot to say. I actually talked to her about cats for a while and we went off on this whole tangent about cat behavior, which was really interesting actually. Um but uh so your book goes so far into language and how it affects the brain, how it affects us as people, how it affects society. And I mean, even talking about this with dogs, it almost seems like there's something about humans and language that is almost transcendent when it comes to like communications. There's some kind of secret that humans have with communication that somehow dogs are picking up on. Um, <laughs> but it's very powerful, which goes back to queer theory and how they attempt to control language. And how that's impacting society. And so I would love to ask you some questions about that in particular, if you're ready. Go for it. And I'll try not to look like an <laughs> idiot. 
Okay. Well, if you do, then people can just go and read your book and they'll forget you ever said anything silly. Okay. So. Good. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. So first of all, um, in your book, you talk about how females develop, seem to develop the capacity for um, language skills on a stronger level and almost faster than males um, in infancy and uh, just throughout childhood. So do you think that that might be a reason why it seems like so many women are pushing queer theory and, and kind of more of these like destructive ideas? Because I mean, we, we see like men pushing it. Yes. But there are a lot of women who are kind of drivers of this in, in a really negative way. I have to be careful what I say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't no, worry. I, 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 I don't actually care, uh, which is great. Um, I have to, I have to try to be diplomatic though. Um, so whenever we're talking about kind of the brain or sex differences or that kind of thing, there's obviously we're talking about averages because there's right. there's what now 8 billion people on the planet they're not all going to be the same which is True. which is a fact but you definitely that's why we have statistics because we see a general trend within a population and when it comes right. to uh this kind of language use definitely women because they develop earlier they have this kind of biological predisposition to to empathy because as you know now you have a child you are yeah. hypersensitive to any sound to to anything happening in your environment i can see you're interviewing me but you have a half your ear open the other side you're multitasking <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> a man a man can't do that like our brain is not is not wired to be able to take in so much information. I, I do, I do um, discuss it in the book, but you know, our male brain is des designed to get rid of excess data. It's great. Mm -hmm. You press delete, it's gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> take out the garbage. Yeah. I'll do it. Gone. <laughs> um, but the woman's brain is different, okay? Because obviously you have to raise a child. You have a lot of um, you have a lot of variables to think of. Is my child cold? Is my child hot? Is my child uh, hungry? Are they thirsty? Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that changes every five minutes, right? Yeah. So you have to be you have to be on the ball all the time. Uh, I will have a nervous breakdown with my brain if that happens because there's too many things <laughs> to think about. So the woman's brain yeah. is is this network. Um, the thinking style, I should say, is a network that goes out. So you have one thing and then you have all the possible variables. Now, male's brain is a bit different. We have more convergent thinking. So we've got all these options and then we're mm -hmm. going to go, okay, what's the best option out of these? What's doable? That one. Right. Delete. Okay. And now the reason, there's a special reason for that. And that's because if you're out doing a task, like if you're out hunting or if you're out farming 
or if you're out looking for clean water, there's only so many things that you can do with one body. And that is one thing. Yeah. Yeah. You may want to be like, I don't know, a Hindu God with lots of arms and be able to multitask. <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? So for yeah. men, because men are primarily the ones, whether you believe in creation, whether you believe in evolution, whatever, men are primarily the ones that go out and do these tasks. And therefore, yeah. our brain is designed in such a way that you can only do one task. It's a decision-making system. But for women, mm -hmm. because they're generally not the ones going out, they're the ones taking care of some, some offspring, generally speaking. Um, that's been the model for since very, very recent history. I know people don't right. like it, but that, that's life. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's what, how, how our species works. So the female brain is the opposite. It's like, okay, I'm going to keep all these variables in mind all the time. That's, and you need higher memory for that. And that's probably why women have higher empathy as well, because um, uh, I know it's a very long way to get to the point. But maybe for some women, they see these individuals as, as needing some kind of protection. So they have that more, mm. I'd say, instinctive, protective notion towards these individuals, whereas men, men see, okay, this is either a potential predator that I need to protect my group from, or this is a... Uh, uh, com potential competitor who I also need to get rid of. Mm. So okay. <laughs> from the male perspective, there's, it's very unlikely that they are going to be more that direction than women. Yeah. Does that make sense? I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, it's almost like, uh, like their compassion is being perverted. That kind of biological drive so. to, and to nurture. If you look at a lot of the, if you look at the lot, lot of the dialogue that goes on around that kind of thing, it's a very we need to save these people. It's like, yeah, okay, from what exactly? Definitely in a Western <laughs> country, you're not you're not getting flying lessons with without a parachute from a tall yeah. building. Um, yeah, you might some some other places, but uh, yeah, yeah. Or bungee well, jumping, except the the rope is around the neck which doesn't do the person much good. Um, well, you need to, to save them from all the brands not supporting them. You need to save them from M&Ms not yeah. doing a promotional um, bag on them yeah. one year because that, that could be very traumatic to people. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I do see that. <laughs> and I, I have seen that a lot um, in in the groups when I was younger and more ideological and in my like rebellious kind of, it wasn't called back then it was still a slur to call people queer. Um, and so I still kind of sort of in those spaces because I was, I'm sad to say I was an anime club. And <laughs> so I saw a lot of those types of people in there and, um, a lot of them were my friends and I did see a lot of that like protection because these, these girls knew what it was like to be picked on and to be afraid and 
to have that worry. And so they kind of projected that onto the people they were wanting to defend and, and became very protective of certain people that maybe they shouldn't have been protective of because later it turned out that those boys um, were not good men when they grew up. And yeah, um, people unfortunately found out the hard way. But uh, yeah, so it, it is interesting to see women doing that. On the flip side, thankfully, we've got wonderful feminists who are fighting against it, who are doing a lot of really hard work, and women who aren't feminists, who are doing a lot of hard work, even though they've got families and jobs and everything fighting against this. So it does seem like um, women are, are very passionate on either end of, of this debate, if you want to call it that. Um, but it's I a very weird phenomenon to me. <laughs> yeah, it's... it is. It's it's strange. Because you, it's it's uh, it's like a two ends of the mothering perspective. You have the very mm -hmm. aggressive bear mother, who is like, "No, don't get me on my <laughs> kids." And then you have the yeah. other one is, "No, you're my child. I'll protect you." So you have yeah. these two different. <laughs> Uh, poles of the female spectrum, if I can call it that, I get in trouble probably. But you know, <laughs> there's these two different feminine forces that are actually at loggerheads with each other. Yeah, well, and, it's almost uh, like um, there there are like people that are certainly taking advantage of of certain aspects of that. Yeah, for money definitely. or for for ideology yeah. or for whatever, because there's a lot of money in it. And whenever is, money is yeah. involved, people will be converted. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is almost like a, a dark and light version of like that that instinct, that mama bear instinct. Um, and you see it with the messaging too, the I'm your mom now and I'm your glitter family and that's right. It's really like I was seeing that back when I was in high school 15 years ago. And like it was it was weird to me then because I was like, oh, I don't I mean, that kind of sounds like creepy. So I stayed away from it. But yeah, it, it is. It's disturbing how much that has kind of blown up now. And we see that like being taught in schools. Um, which but now that you me mentioned that, next you know, question. Uh, oh, before you go on to your next question, I think uh, now that you mention it, there are a lot of, let's say, kids or, or even adults that are very vulnerable. And so when they get that, they've maybe never in their lives, maybe they had a bad parental situation or they've yeah. suffered abuse or something like that. So any kind of that, that motherly even if it's a, a pseudo-female kind of projection, mm -hmm. they feel that, okay, I've never had that kind of thing. So it's an emotionally appealing thing to them. That's why yeah. um, if we have a look, actually there's, you can look it up, the increase of the internet and then the increase of online communication. So back in the day, we had MySpace. Oh, I don't yeah. know if you remember MySpace. <laughs> remember MySpace. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so back in the day, we had MySpace. And from there, these communities, these online communities, they started to form. 
And from there, yeah. you see you see more groups of people suddenly identifying as this or that because now they have a group, they have an echo chamber mm. uh, where they can, you know, encourage each other in things that are not yeah. particularly encourageable. And and you have the same kind of dynamics happening as you would in a fundamentalist, uh, extremist religious situation where you have yeah. these groups forming online and they're going and making attacks well in this case obviously they're, they're not forming attacks maybe but they're they're certainly damaging themselves or they're they're certainly you know yeah going out and and spreading a, a certain message that is is not really based on any science but it, it's yeah it's no. very emotionally <laughs> charged definitely definitely like it it is it's all just subjective and oh if i don't get my way you're hurting me you're literally killing me you're erasing me if you don't give me everything i want and it it's um definitely like screams of arrested development like somebody but doesn't handle rejection I, I, I find well. <laughs> it i find it very sad because you know those those mm -hmm. people they obviously they do need some kind of support yes i'm not denying that they definitely need some kind no. of support. The problem is that the support they want or the support they think they need is the very opposite of what they should be getting. Uh, yeah. They need, they need actual the support. With the ice cream. To, yeah. They need actual support, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever underlying problem there is, which is now manifesting right. in other ways. Yeah, definitely. And again, from having gone into spaces with those types of young people um you see a lot of grooming go on and things like that i had a lot of friends who fell in with worse and worse crowds um there was a a boy in my anime club who his girlfriend was very like psychologically abusive and it was oh well if you love me then you'll you know self-harm and things like that and to because you upset me so you need to punish yourself and and that sort of thing that she did to him and wow, that's messed so, up so and then you'd see yeah it was very bad and so you'd see like similar things with some of the girls and guys they would meet online on myspace or on oh gosh i can't remember the name of the website it was an it was an anime website and they would do these weird role plays with like strange adults and like the forums and stuff and it was just really toxic and weird, and I, I tried to stay out of it as much as possible. But yeah, it was um, it was just uh, very unhealthy, and they were trying to, like, they for whatever reason believed the people harming them this way, like, really loved them, and I don't know that I ever could wrap my head around that completely. Munchausen. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, um, I don't know. I guess it must have been like, again, the, the control of something they were saying or like the language they were using to communicate with my friends that um, made them feel like these people cared about them when they were being hurt by these people. It, something these people were saying, it was some kind of like, common interest i don't really know but yeah it was it was odd 
and it was very concerning. <laughs> but That's... hopefully they're they're better now, but they definitely yeah. would be wrapped up in this now. Doesn't sound like a One girl... <laughs> very healthy situation. No. I, I've talked about this before in a thread, but one girl believed that she was a werewolf and um, specifically, specifically a Japanese kitsune werewolf kind of situation. And um, then her best friend believed that he was an angel and they had this whole, it was, it was really strange. And was yeah, she Japanese was though? Lovely... No. <laughs> Cultural appropriation. Yes. Drag him over the rocks. <laughs> yes, terrible. She wore a kimono, like a men's kimono to school all the time. It was, yeah, she, and then on the weekends, she and this other kid would like carry the katanas and things like that around, like to the mall. Like it was just really cringy. Uh, I really hope all these people grew up and became productive, healthy members of society. Well, we can hope. <laughs> Yes. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that was a fun tangent. Um, so I wanted to ask you, because you did talk about um, brain development and language in children. Um, how do you think teaching kids about gender ideology and queer theory in kindergarten, first grade, like elementary school, impacts their development? You'll mess them up. <laughs> that, that's that's for sure. Um, so if if you look at the studies done, okay, during when the Third Reich was going on in Germany, what they did is they they obviously tried to get the kids as young as possible indoctrinated into the National Socialist ideology. Sorry, my phone is going off, um, and Obviously, it was it was kind of plowed into their minds from a very young age. This is the, the, the way, the National Socialist way is the best way. The Jews are subhuman. And um, that's all the schooling they got all the time. So later, after the war, two German uh, sociologists, they went in and they they actually looked at people that had come out of the war kids that had been growing up under the school system of the Third mm -hmm. Reich and they interviewed them and then they interviewed people that had survived the war from before the Third Reich. Mm -hmm. So so people that somehow survived into adulthood uh, during yeah. that, that war period, okay? Because there wasn't, like, for men especially, the, the male population was quite decimated. Um, I'd imagine what they so. found What they found was that the kids coming out of school, even though they knew it to be wrong, were more anti-Semitic than the people that were before the war that even went through all that. So wow. they knew it was wrong, but they still just didn't like those Jews. Wow. Yeah. So it tells you that so... uh, even from, even if they're not going to transition, even if they're not going to it's going to be impressed in their minds that this is a normal thing because in the third right. Reich, hating Jews was the normal thing. Like, yeah, that was like breathing. So, um, 
having I, I cannot kid, see that the result will be good. Yeah, I I can't either. Um, having been a kid that developed gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder, um, very young, I was what six is my earliest memory of that, um, and like I felt that distress and it was very confusing, and I was. I guess you could say suicidal at that age, but it wasn't necessarily in the way that I understood death. It was, I was six years old and I wanted to know if I could start over in a new body, if I destroyed the one that I had, or if there was a way to do that. Um, like I, <laughs> I could mulligan, if you will. Um, but I, it was, I had to become very introspective and learn permanence and things like that on my own because I couldn't talk to the adults in my family. I knew I couldn't talk to them. They were very um, alarmist and close-minded and they would get very angry very easily over things. So I couldn't discuss really anything with them. Um, and I knew that. It's not a healthy so, environment either, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't necessarily that I was afraid that because they were very strict, um, religiously and, um, they, I say that, but they didn't quite understand the Bible as I understand it now, because it obviously painted my, my picture of the Bible to be very different than what it seems to be now as I'm reading I'm like oh hey it doesn't say that at all um so you know it was the type of thing we're like oh god hates everybody who isn't us basically um so uh yeah so it was it wasn't that I thought they were going to be mad at me religiously like pull out the bible and yell at me or or that god would be mad at me I never had those feelings it was more like I knew they weren't going to give me any good answers and I knew they were just going to make a hullabaloo out of nothing. Well, not nothing, but a hullabaloo out of it and was something that I needed to just kind of process. Um, so knowing what that felt like growing up and knowing what that has felt like as an adult after having those feelings as a child, that fundamental stage of life, um, I really am disturbed that anyone would try to stir that up in a child because it makes me feel like it's going to ignite those things in kids who would not have had those feelings. And suddenly, here's this authority figure who's telling you that your parents are wrong and that everything you know is wrong and fundamental things about your body and the world around you are wrong and need to be challenged and questioned and all this stuff. And that's very profound, big stuff for a little kid. So that's, I, I worry a lot for them. That That's true. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure your, your parental situation, so I can't really comment exactly, but I'm sure regardless of that, your, your parents still deeply loved you regardless Yes, I think. And they were probably yeah. strict with you because that's coming from a place <laughs> of love, not because they hate you. 
Yes, I think that was true for for those members of my family. Yeah. Now. Yeah. The the problem is you okay if you're a child and you you lack reasoning skills. Now you can look back on it and say, okay, they, you know, they're not bad people. They, they just didn't understand the situation. The problem is if you're a child, right. you don't have that kind of reasoning ability. Now you go mm -hmm. to school, and there's someone there that's always nice to you. Yeah. Who are you going to listen to? The mean parents, or this lovely teacher, who, mm -hmm. by the way has no investment in you. They didn't give birth to you. They don't really care right, what happens yeah. to you later in life because you're in their classroom for what, a year, maybe two, depending on, yeah. on how that, that school system works. Um, and then you're gone. And okay, yeah. sayonara, have a nice life. <laughs> your parents still are there. They're still going to be part of your life. They still right. love you, I'm assuming. Yeah, most normal parents love their kids. Although yeah. normal parents these days, that's that's open for debate. <laughs> what what that yeah. constitutes? Uh, yeah. It, so yeah, um, it's it's very it's very manipulative towards children. I want to use the word manipulative is. because it's it's taking it's taking advantage of their innocent nature to to project something that should never have been there. And kids are impressionable. Yeah. They, oh, that person's cool, okay. They're getting a lot of attention for saying I'm this and that. Therefore, right. if I want to get attention, I should say I'm this and that. All right, exactly. let's chop them off. Like yeah. Well, these little kids are being, again, like you are saying, rewarded for saying certain things. And even if they don't really feel them, they're just, but they want the reward too. So they're of course going to get all the, the praise if they come out as, Oh, my pronouns are this or that, or what have you. All I see is when I see one of these woke classrooms, I just see Pavlov's dogs. That's all I <laughs> That's see. That's a good it's, way to put it. It's just, it's just Pavlov's dogs in an educational setting with kids instead yeah. of animals. So it's well, and it, it, it's human experimentation yeah, if you think about it. It, it the is definition of it what. Is a, yeah. yeah, and we see these teachers, like even when I, um, because my mom was a, a teacher's aide, so growing up, I I heard this a lot from teachers, and it always struck me as weird, but they say my kids when they talk about their class, my kids did this or my kid came up to me and said that even if they're childless and I'm like, sweetie, those aren't your kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> those are other people's kids and you have them for several hours a day and then they go home, they go back to the families that love them and take care of them. You're there to teach them math. <laughs> um, but it, it's weird because we see that now again with going back to what we talked about earlier with that perverse kind of like, mama bear like aggressive like these are my kids and i protect trans kids and it's it's like a a progression like a cascade of things going on um and it's it's deeply concerning for these kids what would you say is 
like what what's going on developmentally when it comes to language and things like that with kids at that age uh it depends what age group we're we're looking at but certainly the younger child yeah the 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 less the less understanding of the abstract they have okay so kids kids will pretend to be things as a way of exploring the world like i am a dog or i am a cat it it doesn't mean they literally think they are it's just an outlet for them to copy something for them to to experiment with their surroundings because everything is new to them they haven't been alive mm-hmm. a, long, a long time so the way they interact with the world is is quite different uh even even things like spatial awareness volume awareness these are things that develop gradually so when a child is very young for example um and there's a cat and they see the cat okay Mm -hmm. um they don't know what a cat is the adult tells them it's a cat after after a while they realize okay this animal that looks like that is is a cat and some kids they don't always Mm -hmm. draw the connection very fast they might see a dog and go cat because any kind of that size (laughs) animal is now a a cat in their 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 understanding of vocabulary the other thing is um how things exist so for very young children the cat is on the table so cute the cat goes behind the sofa the cat no longer exists mm-hmm. in their mind the cat has now ceased to exist it's why they get stressed when they don't see their mother my mother doesn't exist where is my mother Wow! <laughs> and then you show up and they're like okay my mother's my mother still yeah. exists she's still here it's it's fine so their understanding of these things is is not this is something that comes out all the time. Children are not small adults. Children yeah. are children. Yeah. They, they, they're not there yet. Um, and so as a result, if we look at things like volume, uh, there's Piaget's conservation tasks. If you've, if you've seen those before, I'm sure many people would be familiar with that. You get a tall glass and you get a short, fat glass. And they have the same volume, actually. And you pour the the small glass into the big glass and it fills up the big glass and the kid goes, wow, there's more in that glass than there is in that glass because it appears <laughs> to them to be bigger. They yeah. don't understand. Or with coins, you can take five coins, right? And you put them on the table and you say, how many coins are there? They may say five, okay? Then you spread out the coins. So before they're bunched up together, you spread them out. Now you ask them, are there more or less coins? And they'll just look at the area the coins cover and they'll go, there's more coins. Even though there's five and they still realize that there's, there's five coins, but they still think it's more because mm-hmm. the concept of volume is, is developing. So now you want to get this child that doesn't understand basic things like volume. And you want to tell them that they're another gender. It's yeah. it's child abuse. That's 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 what it is. If a four-year-old yeah. is confused about that kind of thing, they've they've either been abused or they have some kind of developmental problem that needs mm-hmm. to be addressed. Yeah. 
And that, that yeah. can be for so many different reasons that I, I, I won't put a specific diagnosis on it, but there's a lot of things that, that can, you know, be, be involved there. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's not a good sign if your four-year-old says, I think I'm something else. There's right. something else happening there because it's not a normal developmental plane. Yeah, I know for me, um, looking back from what I remember and what I know about my family, um, a lot of it was the the messaging in my environment about females. So my mother had a lot of internalized misogyny and she also was very lonely so I was kind of like her best friend so she would just kind of talk to me like I was another adult and just confide in me things that adult friends would confide in each other not something you confide in your five-year-old um and my grandmother she was very rigid with her gender roles and things like that like men can only do these things and women can only do these things and if you're a woman then men are very predatory and you need to watch out. And so it, it was very um, scary and just kind of not, I don't know, it just didn't look okay to be female. So I think that really informed a lot of that. Like it took me a long time to get there because it was so fundamental in my background. Um, I probably only recently really got there after like examining everything, even after going through therapy. Um, just, yeah, it's a lot to unpack from when you're a small child because so many things are just, they, they develop you and they're just kind of part of your background and part of your, your world. Like your family is your introduction to how to function in society. So <laughs> if if your family background is not um is like a certain way then it it just kind of like predisposes you to certain like thought patterns and things like that so and you, you don't even realize it like no, it, it can be little things yeah. that are like totally subconscious that you're picking up on and so i mean in this case they were pretty overt but i still didn't it still didn't register for me until fairly recently that that was probably what was informing me um but yeah so it it's crazy now to think that people are doing that to small children and giving them those overt messages and reading the the ideological books to them and things like that it it's it seems very unhealthy because I mean, what, my sister was six years old and she thought she was a horse. She spent like months believing that she was just phasing out of being a horse and a little girl, just running around the house, galloping. And it wasn't until Did I showed her the, a video the of herself. Did she affirming surgery yet? <laughs> well, she had these little shoes that she wore as prosthetic hooves. It's very affirming for her. Um, but I, I, it wasn't until I showed her a video of herself when she was in horse mode that she realized, oh, I'm not actually a horse. I still just look like me. Okay. And then it kind of like sunk in. <laughs> she ended her horse face. Um, 
<laughs> but yes, I, I, that was conversion therapy. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just affirmed. Yeah, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Identity. You just admitted that you're I a terrible am... person. Oh, I, I don't support trans horse identities. <laughs> I'm terrible. Um, I don't use horse pronouns. Nay, and um, me. <laughs> Um, so oh, people are going to hate me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, this brings me, though, back around to another question. What do you say to people who, being a linguist, as you are, and having studied language and everything that you've studied, what do you say to the people who go, language evolves, you're just a transphobe, this is what woman and man mean now, and you're just going to have to get over it? I generally don't say much. I just laugh at them. Uh, but if I have to, if I have to say something, um, language does change. Okay. That that's true. Hence we have many mm -hmm. languages in history. We have different forms of the same language. How a language changes, however, is very important. Okay. Um, generally speaking, there tends to, to be a simplification in, in grammar and that kind of thing that makes it more, more streamlined. So basically, as, as a language continues, it, it, it forms the culture, but the culture also forms the language. So there, there's things that work in an in a average for, for that culture in which the language is used. Now, if we look at... Um, for example, the English language, mm -hmm. all right? There are things that are very stable in every language, things like pronouns. And especially in Germanic languages, pronouns are, are very stable because pronouns are not free existing. They have to exist in unison with a, um, uh, a, a verb, a B verb because mm -hmm. the, the form of the B verb directly links to whatever pronoun is used. And B verbs tend to be very stable as well. Um, so in this case, if we have a look at the very old forms of, let's say, Proto-English, if we want to call it that, like Anglo-Saxon, mm -hmm. yeah, Saxon language, they have a lot of pronouns, <laughs> um, a lot of forms of pronouns. For really? a woman, uh, a woman when you're talking to about a woman in her relation to you, where she is, the pronoun is different. It's oh, very wow. complex. It's a very uh -huh. very complex system. To a man, to 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 this person, to that person. So you have this this kind of hierarchical structure because the clans were very hierarchical. Okay. But then what happens is you get this massive invasion of Vikings. And the Vikings <laughs> come down from the north and they're all hurdy dirty birdy dirty. <laughs> and their system was quite different. They had a much more egalitarian system. Hmm. Women were much more egalitarian in their culture. They, they, so they had this massive simplification because everyone's like, their pronoun structure is way easier. They just have he, <laughs> she, it. <laughs> They're B verbs. There's a whole lot less of them. You don't have to conjugate them that much. 
Mm-hmm. And there was this this gradual shift then um, towards that. And uh, that's why English these days, I think there's about, from, from the original Norse influence, there's about 2,000 words. They gave mm-hmm. us interesting words like kill and cake. <laughs> um, Those are interesting words, yes. <laughs> important words. Yes. Uh, and... So if we look at uh, the structure, actually, there's a simplification in the structure. Mm-hmm. We've been using that same structure since basically the Vikings invaded. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. The French, the French system is pretty close. Then we got invaded. Well, not we, because I'm, I'm not actually English. I'm, not actually, I'm, I'm Frankish, my, my background, so... We invaded you guys. Um, so when we invaded, we had still a very basic system that the Celtic languages, the Romance languages, they still have this very basic system for pronouns. So they, they're very stable. Semantics, all in, in this regard, they tend to be very stable and they tend to, to change very slowly. And if you change them very rapidly, it causes a lot of confusion because it's yeah. a base structure. No one knows what you're talking about. Right. You can't change the base that easily. You can change all no. the, the nice frilly things. It's like a car, right? Mm-hmm. What do you have in a car? You have the engine, you have the, um, the, the drive shaft, you have all these things. If you take one of these components out, you have to restructure the vehicle massively to compensate for the lack of that language is the same it's 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 a it's a mechanism all right how we communicate it's a very complex mechanism you take one essential part out you've now confused totally what 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 you're talking about you may know in your coding but the decoding the person is not going to have a clue what you're talking about yeah Yeah. like so (laughs) They've changed woman and man to mean anything. And right. So so the semantics yeah. then has, has no point. But the interesting right. about semantics is when you have, this is why they try to change the meaning of man and woman. When you have adjectives or suffixes, they, they change what the noun is. All right. Mm-hmm. So you just end up getting a very long way of saying exactly the same thing. For example, right. trans man. The trans part means to cross over. And then right. man. The man has crossed over. So it's still a woman. Yeah. Or, or trans woman. The person has crossed over. So the person is still a man or a woman. Right. Like it, it, you just end up full circle coming back to the same thing. And it just gets a longer, longer, longer definition because semantics are stable, generally speaking. Right. And they want to get rid of even the trans part. They just want to say man and woman now or male and female. They want to do it because they keep coming back full circle. Right. And it's like, well, how do I know which sex you're actually talking about. Well, it doesn't matter because there's no way to define sexes. And it's like, well, it's important to define the sexes because you can't medically transition if you don't understand the sexes and you can't 
treat someone medically accurately <laughs> if you don't know the sexes then you get absurdities like oh well just the doctor needs to make sure that you have a vagina and if you have a vagina it means this but it doesn't mean that it means you have this other body part because anybody could have ovaries and anybody could have a penis it's like no whoa, whoa. you have a serious prostate problem <laughs> Yes, it's, it gets really crazy. Um, we did an article where we talked about someone who endangered their own health because she refused to disclose that she was a woman and they were using the wrong kidney values for her. And it just, again, it's, it's this arrested development. It's this escapism because they're wanting to not deal with something and they're putting all their eggs in the gender basket. Um, and yeah, it's the same thing with language. It's very frustrating because they, they act like language is purely a social construct and that it doesn't refer to anything objective. And it's like, no, it's just the labels that we're giving to things that we can observe in reality <laughs> like so we can communicate with each other. Um, so they act like the the words make the thing. The, the thing make the words. <laughs> just, yes. the, the thing is there before <laughs> the word is made to make the thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Or they want to do away with a word because they think that they go into the naturalistic fallacy where they think a word like artificial means bad. Like I, I got into an entire argument with somebody over some article that was talking about how we need to remove the word artificial from from women who are feeding their babies formula instead of breast milk and i'm like well they are using an artifice to feed the baby so <laughs> why is that wrong there it's it's not something that appears in nature it's an artifice and so we got into this huge just pages and pages are long argument of me describing like what an artifice is and versus what something found in nature is and it was just it, it was it was so silly to me because again it was this this emotional appeal of no it's bad it means bad and i'm like no it just means constructed so but we're seeing that kind of thing and it, it's it's odd this um stigma that people attach to words and they're they're robbing us of communication with their stigma <laughs> it's uh it's it's an interesting phenomenon and I, <laughs> I i think the fact that the english language it's quite a fluid language mm -hmm. it's terrible it's it's a grammatic monstrosity but uh it's it's very fluid and it tends to lend itself much more to this kind of thing than a lot of other languages. Uh, I saw, I saw recently that they wanted to uh, remove gender from the French language, which uh, that did not go over well. <laughs> yes. They wanted to do that with Spanish too. Yeah, everyone was going Joan of Arc style. Viva <laughs> la France! Um, and you know because it's 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 interesting like for example korean we tend to not use pronouns 
it it's the weirdest thing like we would just uh it's very hierarchy based as well but in a different way to what anglo-saxon was hierarchy based so for example um we we would refer to our boss by boss title and then uh suffix nim which is like an honorific <laughs> type like for a higher level person than yourself and it would be like boss honorific particle and then that's their pronoun so we wouldn't directly say you to our boss because it would be rude yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like a totally different system. So when yeah. they try the pronoun thing here, it's not going to work because people <laughs> don't even use it. And pronouns are like you could use ke, which means he or she. It doesn't have any thing. If you want to be really clear, you have to say kunyo, which is then the 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 female mm-hmm. version. But if the person is higher level and you say kunyo it could also be rude like mm. it it's very complicated yeah. yeah so you might say kebun which is like that person in a polite <laughs> way but it doesn't tell you if it's a man or a woman either yeah so well it's odd it, it doesn't lend itself to this kind of ideology very no. well which is probably why we don't see it here much yeah um well they but also with english just kind of... You know, the system, it just makes it so easy for this to, to yeah. happen. Yeah. They also just kind of make everything a pronoun, like even made up words like the Zazir and the Zizer. And then you've got the, what is it? The demon, demon self. And <laughs> I saw someone that was a, they were a fern gender. And so it was fern, fern self. <laughs> mental patient, mental patient self. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, And it was funny because when I first got into this whole debate a few years ago, I remember bringing up the attack helicopter argument because I was like, you know, it's going to get there if we keep just letting it do the slippery slope. And I had people go, no, no, dudes just want to use the bathroom and get some dignity and this and that. And I was like, no, but the pushing of the pronouns and the they, them, and the now we're getting the neo ones, it's going to get there. And it's there. Yeah, <laughs> it got there, Um, which is, I can't believe it did. And I can't believe we're getting people seriously like arguing that it, we should just entertain that. Um, <laughs> But I did uh, want to point out this one thing in your book. Um, the Babylon cipher, where you say the continuous interplay between language and hierarchies is a fundamental part of governing human relationships and behavior. Would you say that that's something that you think is being taken advantage of here? Yeah, it's. Uh, so there's there's something called safer wharf theory. I'm not sure if you if you've heard of that. The the no. hypothesis. It's it's. It works and it doesn't work. It depends how how you apply it. But mm-hmm. there's always some kind of when we're in a relationship, there's always some kind of give and take, right? Right. With your husband, when you're doing something, there's always an inter there's a transaction that happens. 
a transaction mm -hmm. of, of value or somehow, okay, I do this, you do this. Can you do right. this for me? It, it's, it's how the relationship is maintained and bringing mm -hmm. balance to that kind of transaction is, is what gives you either a balanced relationship or a kind of exploitative relationship. Like you mentioned that girl, if you, if you love me, you'll hurt yourself kind of thing. Yeah. That's, that's a very exploitive uh, transaction. We see the same thing happening here because if you respect me, you will use this and this and this for me. Mm -hmm. It's not even a title. Okay. It's just something you made up for yourself. It's not something right. that's earned, but if you like me, if you love me, you will use this specific term for me because that's what I want to hear. It, it is part mm -hmm. of this kind of hierarchical transaction. Right. So if you respect my place in this hierarchy, you have to do this, which means mm -hmm. that you are raising them basically consciously or unconsciously in that hierarchy dynamic. That's why we've got to the point in society where there is this taboo about speaking against this particular protected group because right. they've, they've done the social transactions in the social hierarchy enough times that they have now worked <laughs> their way up in this, this yeah. kind of pyramid of the, the, the society. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it is a bit like a like a shuffle. Yes, of like it, it's it's a conditioning yeah. process. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Why do we listen to the king? Because in the beginning, it's because the king is a nice guy, and then later, <laughs> when the king gets a sword, it's like okay, we listen to the king because we want to remain this height and not one foot shorter. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. So um, there's there's a transactional dynamic that that's happening in whatever kind of relationship you are, and language is is the way that that happens. Yeah, that's interesting. They do they do use it as a means of controlling people and throwing around transphobe everywhere, like it's <laughs> like it has a meaning now. Too like they they've it's funny in their their effort to rob other words of their meaning and their their weight they've robbed like all of their little insults and guilt trips of any meaning and weight at this point because you know man and woman can be anything and now so can transphobe um <laughs> so let's well see. You, oh. you only need you only need a very small percentage of the population core population mm -hmm. uh about i think i do mention in the book it's somewhere between they're not exactly sure of the number between three to six percent of of um the population within a certain group to start pushing a theory so if you get to that point you can start tipping it in your direction but now we see every Every kind of like advertising group, every company, they all yeah. have it everywhere. So this is why it's become something that's just totally covering the planet, basically. In places yeah. where it's allowed, funnily enough, those yeah. same businesses, they, they don't have those colors on BMW, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, 
Yes, it's conveniently absent there. Yes. <laughs> so we've seen a lot of academics um, lose their positions and be ousted from universities and things like that. Are you in any danger of, of that there or are things fairly chilled they, out they, in Korea? <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's less of a problem here. Uh, people have tried. Uh, mm -hmm. The thing is, I'm I'm kind of I'm looking after the apartment that I'm in now, so mm -hmm. I I get complaints coming to me, so I give myself oh. a thorough talking to, yeah, okay. yeah, and then I forgive myself. Yes, well, you know, you're always learning, yes, and evolving. Yes. So maybe <laughs> one day, <laughs> one day I'll fire myself. Yes, one day you'll have had enough of your shenanigans. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I won't put up with myself any longer. Yes. No. <laughs> so um, I did want to comment about your um, diagrams that you have of the brain. And we were talking earlier about uh, the male brain and the female brain and how they work in their thought patterns. and. I mean, you put it in a really digestible way, especially with the um, the diagrams are great. I wish I, I could put them up on screen. Maybe I can and post. Um, or maybe I won't and people will just have to read the book to go see oh, them. That's, oh. that's, that, that could be one way. I like your advertising yeah. style there. Exactly. Nice segue. Oh, yeah. Hey, buy <laughs> um, the book. Yes. I, <laughs> Yes, I just really want people to read it. It's great. Um, but yeah, it, it really helped me visualize that, I guess, that dichotomy of like the the way that women think versus the way that men think on average. We always have to say on average. Um, but yeah, we've done some articles about um, brain differences in males and females on our site and we do have one neuroscience major who's working on it. I think his PhD. I feel so bad for not knowing for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Sammy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I wonder, do you have like any remarks about the brain differences and, and things like that when it comes to males and females that you might want to comment on? Uh, the one thing I will say, if, if anyone tells you there's no difference, please ignore, please <laughs> just ignore what they're saying because it's, it's, it's a load of tripe. Basically there's, there's a lot of differences in the brain, which then carry over into behavior and there's differences mm -hmm. in the brain because there are differences in the body. I mean, the male right. body and the female body are two very different things, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you need to have a programming center that can cope with the difference in the physical form. It's not just a matter of, oh, the brain is this default thing. The female male body is different. Therefore your, your programming center must be different. If, if I have, if I have, I don't know, a Kia morning, which is like a tiny car. Yeah. And I go and I put a Ferrari engine in there. <laughs> it will start, 
the Ferrari engine will get ripped out of the front of the car. <laughs> it because the engine is it's not designed to be in that car. So whenever whenever you have a vehicle, whenever you have a machine, you have to have the right kind of equipment altogether, and then that machine will work properly. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying women are inferior like a Kia Morning or something like that, which is a good car. I drive a Kia Morning. Um, it's just it's a different. It needs to be correct for the thing that it is. All right. So mm -hmm. if someone is saying that all brains are the same, male or female, that they obviously don't have really have a clue what they're talking about. We see things like uh, the frontal lobe is much more developed in women. Even the mm -hmm. skull shape of woman is rounded at the front to give you more cubic centimeters to have a larger development of the frontal lobe, even though the female brain is smaller than the male brain. You still got more at the front. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to because that's where you have memory. And you need to have memory because. You're doing multitasking and you need to do multitasking because you're going to have kids. And what do kids yeah. need? Lots of multitasking. So it's, it's, it's a buildup of different factors that lead mm -hmm. to the point. You have a, you females have a smaller brain, but a 25% larger corpus callosum, which is the connection between the brains. Why? So that you can take advantage of both hemispheres of the brain to coordinate things mm -hmm. better, to have a better memory. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm glad I asked this question. The, the biological so, basis carries over into behavior because that's yeah. what I, I know this, this sounds maybe archaic, but gender roles exist for a reason. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that all gender roles like, Oh, washing the dishes. I got two hands. I can wash the dishes too. That that's not a gender role, <laughs> in my opinion. What? Yeah. <laughs> I can and I do wash the dishes. I am actually oh, the dishwasher of the house. Wow. Um dishwasher self. Yeah, dishwasher self. <laughs> yeah. My what what's a good dishwasher brand? My my name is LG, Whirlpool. LG Self. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the point is that the, the male brain and the female brain are, are, are different, not because of some like social, social construct. There's, there's this is underlying biology there yeah. that gives you the ability. And, so... and then some of these social constructs are not social constructs. They're just a realization of the biological underpinning. Yeah. I was um, reading through and, and saw that you were talking about the development, like I mentioned before. Um, and you were talking about how partially the development in females, we always hear that like a oh, women mature faster, girls mature faster than boys, um, which I think it's just they matured differently not necessarily the same way but faster um <laughs> they just have different paths that they're developing into right. um but so 
the the females developing in a way that seems more mature or faster um you were saying is probably because of that biological clock and like needing to be ready to have a family and and things like that by the time they're in their 30s whereas men have so much longer Long, <laughs> yeah. make this plan <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> you can frolic and you don't have to worry about all those responsibilities pretty much we also we also <laughs> tend to die at a larger rate which is which is oh, probably <laughs> yeah so yeah, i yeah. mean yeah generally males are seen as more expendable biologically like uh, sperm <laughs> Don't be cheeky. Um, <laughs> the it's all just fractals. <laughs> the uh, so you know men are taking more risks, and it leads to to higher percentage of mm -hmm. of obviously death, uh, which is yeah. not so fortunate. But uh, no, sad. The, the development stages are, are, are very different. So we tend to look at things in a linear. Forgot how to speak English for a moment. See things from a <laughs> linear uh, point of view. So we're just looking at the time frames in which things are happening. But mm -hmm. there's two very different things happening. So women are in yeah. a time race, basically, because there's only so much you can do within a brief period of time. And you can do it in the later periods, but then there's obviously the risks associated with having children with a with a older woman it's not uh mm -hmm. it's not impossible but it it certainly right. it increases the risks for for a lot of things so yeah you have this and you don't just have energy i you're you're a young woman so you've you you're battling raising a kid now and can you imagine doing this at a much older age i'm 34 i feel like i'm doing it at a much older age still still uh, but you know hey gordon ramsay's wife just had a baby and she's 49 i think so there you go that, i feel like that would be harder at 49 yeah so that is that is their sixth baby these they're going for a soccer team they're halfway there so they you know. are well he was a soccer player so well, i think that's probably you know, why he's just they should have they should have <laughs> been smart and just had twins every time and then they'd already be there but there you go <laughs> forethought forethought people yeah yeah he should know what being you know a chef and everything oh, should right, be right. pre-planned disappointing disappointing <laughs> make an effort <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> oh and so um yeah i i definitely have noticed like thought pattern differences and i don't know if you've read the book why gender matters i'd really love to interview him next i'm, I'm like in this interview with you and i'm thinking about other people i'm so sorry i feel so unfaithful <laughs> <laughs> but you're inspiring me to want to reach out to other people that's how we'll look at it good good i, I like to be inspiring <laughs> yes but this has been um 
really good. So I, I like if you read um, Why Gender Matters, he talks about like the thought differences and the developmental differences between males and females and how females tend to have a stronger sense of smell and things like that that factor into like how we perceive the world. And your book talks about how in certain cultures there are languages that are almost totally different between males and females of the same culture, which is really interesting to me. I need to go look up those cultures and see what that sounds like. Yeah, there's a West African language where the male form of the language and the female form of the language are like, originally when it was classified, they were classified as two different languages. That's, That's so how good. different so, they are. Like the do same they use word. use different words? The same word, like, for example, book would be one totally different word here and a totally different word there. They each have their own lexicon. Like wow. there's, a, there's a mental dictionary here and there's a mental dictionary here. And the men only speak this. The women only speak this. And somehow they all understand each other. So it's like, okay. And um, what excuse do we have here for our communication issues? <laughs> and None. Weirdly, None, they, don't have any, they don't have any uh, uh, of these these uh, confusion with what is a man and what is a woman. It's weird, eh? <laughs> I bet they don't. Ignorant savages. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, they're not intelligent colonizers like <sighs> like we are. Yeah. We we can't. You know, woman and man can be anything. That's that's you know that's true. That's just enlightenment. That's, that's just enlightenment. So. <laughs> How many, so we'll close it out with a fun question. How many languages do you speak? Uh, well, or badly. Uh, <laughs> enough to get uh, by, we'll say. Uh, enough to get by about seven, I guess. Okay. Yeah. That's impressive. I, I read, I think I read a lot more than I, than I can, uh, can speak. Yeah. I, I'm, okay. I'm a bit weird in that way. A lot of people are more confident in, in speaking than they are in reading or writing mm -hmm. but i'm i'm the opposite i'm more like for example mandarin or cantonese i'd be i'd be happy to write the characters my writing is is pretty good for a whitey um <laughs> but but speaking i'm not always that confident yeah okay. um, did you ever read tarzan tarzan the original yeah. book the original book a uh, long time ago. Yeah. So you do you remember that he he could write in one language? I think it was he was writing in English, but spoke French, and he thought they were the same. There and you so go. He was yeah. yes. <laughs> I remember something something was, like that. Yeah. <laughs> so he wrote to Jane in English. <laughs> And then when he could only speak French to her, she was so confused. She thought he was a different person <laughs> than whom was delivering the letters. And so she's like, wow, this guy delivering the letters is so eloquent. He likes me so much. Could you tell him for me? And it was him. Uh, it was very funny. I thought it was cute. That's It's probably my favorite book is Tarzan. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I thought it was clever. <laughs> but you're reminding uh, me of language that. Language is, language is fun. <laughs> language is very fun. 
Yes. Um, like yeah. uh, I speak two. That's about it. Two. What are they? Yeah. So I, I Cuban Spanish from my family, and then English. There you go. I forget words in both all the time. <laughs> Your English is pretty good. So, it is. Well, that's it's something possible. that's very stressed in Cuban. Yeah. <laughs> In Cuban culture, it's very stressed. Like you don't want to have a Spanish accent because you don't want like white people being racist towards you. So, yeah, I don't know if you speak Spanish, but uh, my my Spanish is bad, which is which is sad since I came from Spanish unis. So, yeah, I did all my coursework <laughs> oh, in no. English. What a traitor! Yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah. My Romance languages aren't very good. My Germanic languages, my Far East Asian languages. <laughs> but for some reason, <laughs> I'm not very romantic, so my Romance languages are not oh, not wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, la language is interesting, though. I recommend mm -hmm. everyone try to study at least one at least yes. one other language and if you say i can't learn another language well you already speak one so you can hey. learn. you can <laughs> learn another one yeah it's proof that you can yeah i think it's and you know if you can't then you can just bully and guilt people into changing the one that they're speaking that's right so there you go yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can you can do that you can compensate for lack of personality in another way Yes. Exactly. Yes. Oh, see, Beautiful. you understand queer theory yeah. so well. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the the thing is, uh, if if you have a good understanding of language, you can protect yourself from a lot of a lot of silly things. Yeah. Like uh, in in the other book, I wrote the more religious one. Uh, it, it's it's talking about the Hebrew words and sometimes the Greek words, this and that. Um, and if you, mm -hmm. if you understand the claims being made by people and then the actual word, mm -hmm. what it means is not what they say it means is, is mm -hmm. two very different things. How yeah. cryptic, another good advertising yeah. strategy for your book <laughs> on yeah. heresies. Yes. That's that one. On heresies, the modern Gnosticism of queer theory. So, yeah, I cover how right, yes. how the overlap between Gnosticism and uh, the modern yeah. queer theory is their queer theology, really. So, uh, well, the cover is very cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's wolves in sheep's clothing type. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, the, uh, I, for example, I like the formatting of that cover. For example, the um, the claim made is that um, the the word for a eunuch in the Bible, mm -hmm. which in Hebrew is a saris, it is uh, it means a castrated man. Okay, mm -hmm. yes and no. So in in this this theological thing that they're making now this this kind of progressive christian theology they're saying eunuchs in the bible are castrated men but when mm -hmm. you look at what saris means it can be a castrated man 
but it doesn't necessarily mean a castrated man. It's actually a oh. title of of an office. So an official oh. would, would be working in the capacity of a eunuch, which is basically a court official. But when you oh whoops, when you consider <laughs> that many court officials were eunuchs in the sense of a castrated man, it does make sense. But it's uh -huh. not a hundred percent. And there's things in Jewish religion oh. that prevent a lot of people that are called eunuchs in the Bible from actually being castrated men. Oh. For example, uh, in the Bible, it talks about the Cushite. So there's a black guy in mm -hmm. the Bible. There's actually many black people in the Bible. You probably just don't realize. Um, there's a Cushite <laughs> who was a proselyte, a Jewish proselyte. So he converted to, to Judaism and he was working mm -hmm. in the, the court of the king for Zedekiah. Uh, a pretty mm -hmm. spineless, pretty dodgy king. Uh, mm. And when the princes didn't like what the prophet Jeremiah said, they basically told the king, if you don't arrest this guy, we're going to make your life difficult. So the king's like, okay, they arrest the prophet Jeremiah, they chuck him into a big cistern. So they used to have, uh, they used to carve out basically a massive hole in the ground. And mm -hmm. You can see similar things like Nabataean civilization where they correct rainwater. So they carved this basically hole for collecting rainwater. But mm -hmm. the situation in Israel at that time, they were under siege. There's not really water. So when they threw him in there, he's basically sitting in mud and mm. just left him to die, basically. Chucked him in the hole full of mud and left him there to die. So this Kushite called Ibed Melech, which means servant of the king, he was called mm -hmm. Saris, which is a eunuch. But the interesting thing is Judaism does not allow castrated men to convert. Oh. There's a specific prohibition. And the reason that was, was the... In Judaism, the Hebrew culture had to be preserved because it was promised that the Messiah, the seed, would come from uh, the nation of Israel. So anything oh. that goes against the, the creation of a healthy population was not permitted. Oh. Therefore, a castrated man was not permitted to enter the congregation of God, they said. So there's no way even Melech was a castrated man in that sense of a eunuch. He was definitely not castrated because he couldn't serve in that function. Also, the Jews did not castrate men for use in harem. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was quite a unique thing about the Jews is pretty much every culture, Assyrians, Edomites, um, Babylonians, they they all had castrated men to work in the king's harem, but the uh, the Jews they did not castrate men for for that purpose. Oh, wow. Cutting cutting the skin or cutting the flesh was was prohibited. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't so, know that. Yes, huh. this is this is this is uh, 
if you see modern Judaism, it's it's quite different. But uh, biblical yeah. in biblical in biblical Judaism, of which if if you want to see the closest thing to to biblical Judaism is Karaite Jews mm-hmm. in the modern sense, but they're a very small number. They they're as close as biblical as you can get in the modern in the modern sense that the way that they they do things but uh yeah. you wouldn't know that but then these woke preachers they're telling you oh see eunuchs are <laughs> blah 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 eunuchs yeah. were trans no this person is not <sighs> not a castrated guy yeah, yeah. also well, now we've got also, having the eunuchs as a gender yeah <laughs> also there's the example of the ethiopian this is a different ethiopian an Ethiopian eunuch who was a proselyte in the times after Jesus. So he converted and he he went to Jerusalem from what is modern day Sudan. So he would have gone. Oh, he would have traveled like more than 2000 kilometers to get from the capital Khartoum to Jerusalem. It's a massive distance. Okay. Very, very faithful person obviously to to travel that distance to worship when philip the evangelizer saw him reading the prophet isaiah he said to him do you know what you're reading and he said no and he's like well (laughs) i'll 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 teach you and they they rode the chariot together and he got baptized but in the story they use the greek word for eunuch for this ethiopian official but he could also mm-hmm. not have been a convert to Judaism if he had been, you know, Snipped. so <laughs> yeah, he, he couldn't have been yeah. And he had a he had a very high office. He was a treasurer actually, of uh, at that time, at that time the um, the Nubians they had uh, a a matriarchy kind of system. So they actually had a queen. Uh-huh. as top in the government oh the kandaka so he was under the kandaka and he was a treasurer of the house and there's there's no reason for a treasurer to be a castrated man like <laughs> yeah. there, there's there's no there's no biblical evidence that he was castrated apart from the use of that word for a eunuch which doesn't even mean that he was necessarily <laughs> castrated. It just means he was an official. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. there you go. There's there you that go. You learn something. You learn something. Yeah. It's covered in the book. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So there's a lot of these, well, these kind of uh, switch and bait. Oh, look, it's eunuch. Yeah. Um, yeah. That yeah. word has more meanings than what we're talking about in a modern that. sense, eunuch. Yeah. Yeah. They love doing the bait and switch. Otherwise, no one would fall for it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for your time today. And I hope everybody at least peeks at your books and gets a look at those tasty little diagrams in there about the brain. Thanks. It's good marketing. <laughs> yes, that's that's it. You're going to have to go look at it. On Amazon, I think you can even download some of them are on the Kindle or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's um, yeah. Th- this one, this one is in ebook. I think the ebook didn't come out mm-hmm. very well. Uh, it needs to be redone. 
<laughs> but uh, the the paperback is there, and there is a hardcover as well. And the other one, it has ebook and and just paperback. Well, yeah. So I highly recommend them. Um, I haven't gone too far into on heresies, but I have into Babylon Cipher, and that one's just it starts out in a really fun way. If you're a nerd, you will love it because <laughs> it goes into physics and the universe. Yes, and it just feels like that fun Judy Dench Epcot ride narration. I can just hear it in her voice. I can, <laughs> and it's just perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, I recommend your books, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Today. We and, finally got there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes, finally. <laughs> I hope you. I, I hope you're well now. The delays. Yes. Ugh. Getting back to my normal hormone cycles after pregnancy just knocks me out, man. I am not used to it. <laughs> Look, so I, it makes I you identified feel like as a flu. woman. It's horrible. I identified as a woman for That's a whole true, ten days. You did. I think you it was did. ten days. I can't remember, and it was it was it mm -hmm. was tough. So. Yeah, I know how you feel. I remember your your I days know exactly of, of girlhood. How you feel. Yes, the, those are really harrowing time. I was on the edge of my seat every yeah. time I'd read one of those updates. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we we know now. We're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks thank you so for much. joining us, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Take care.